Tonight, our nation remembers two Canadian soldiers killed in two separate acts of terror four years ago. But Trudeau used the somber day to remind us all how dangerously politically correct he really is. Then, are the Liberals funding terror? My guest today says they're doing exactly that, and worse still, they're doing it with your tax dollars. It's October 23rd, 2018. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Four years ago this week, two Canadian soldiers died in two separate Islamically motivated terrorist attacks here on Canadian soil. The first soldier to die was Warrant Officer Patrice Vincent. Now Vincent, he was ready to retire and begin his civilian life. He was walking on the sidewalk in Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, Quebec with another soldier when he was run over in a vehicular terrorist attack committed by a man named Martin Couture Rollo. Now according to information gathered by the Counter Extremism Project, Martin Couture Rollo lived with his father in Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, Quebec. In the year preceding the attack on Patrice Vincent, he reportedly converted to Islam, grew a long beard, and began to dress in Islamic clothing and attend a mosque regularly. He was active on Facebook, using the name Ahmad La Converti, Ahmad the Converted. According to a Facebook friend, he reportedly engaged with posts that disparaged Islam. His Facebook page also contained anti-Semitic and pro-Jihad propaganda videos, including a video featuring the ISIS logo, as well as posts referencing the ISIS flag. Couture Rollo was also active on Twitter, where he followed several pro-ISIS, pro-Jihad accounts. Now, during all this time, he was also reporting to friends that he was sending money to Syria, and he had also been routinely visited by the RCMP for his activities. Now, two days later, after Patrice Vincent was mortally injured in jihad by car, a reservist named Corporal Nathan Cirillo was standing sentry at the National War Memorial in Ottawa when he was shot by Michael Zahaf Bebo. Zahaf Bebo then entered the center block parliament building where he died in a shootout with parliamentary security personnel. Now, in 2015, RCMP released a portion of the video recorded by that terrorist, Michael Zahaf Bebo, right before he fatally shot Corporal Nathan Cirillo at the War Memorial on Parliament Hill in October 2014. Just watch this. All those who are involved in listening to this movie, this is in retaliation for Afghanistan and because Harpoz sent troops to Iraq. So we are retaliating. The Mujahideen of this world, Canada's officially become one of our enemies by fighting and bombing us and creating a lot of terror in our countries and killing us and killing our innocents. So just aiming to hit some soldiers just to show you that you're not even safe in your own land. You got to be careful. So may Allah accept from us. 
Zahaf Bibo called his attack retaliation for Afghanistan. He was calm, he wasn't drunk, he wasn't on drugs. That right there is the final manifesto of an Islamic terrorist. That video, it could have been filmed anywhere by any Islamic jihadi anywhere in the world. The scary part is that it was filmed in Canada, in Ottawa, just before that man took Nathan Cirillo's life and then stormed the parliament buildings. So there you have it. Two Canadian soldiers dead in two separate attacks during a single week four years ago by self-described Islamists. The next thing I'm going to read to you is the statement from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about the attacks on the War Memorial and Parliament Hill. Four years ago today, a tragic and senseless attack at the National War Memorial and Parliament Hill in Ottawa claimed the life of Corporal Nathan Cirillo, a sentry at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and left several others injured. On this somber anniversary, we remember Corporal Cirillo and Warrant Officer Patrice Vincent, who was killed two days earlier in a separate attack in Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, Quebec. Our thoughts are with their families and friends and all those affected by these attacks. As we pay tribute to these fallen members of the Canadian Armed Forces, we also pay our respects to the brave first responders and members of our parliamentary family who acted without hesitation to keep us safe. As Canadians, we will not surrender to hatred and let attacks like these divide us. In the face of cowardly violence and fear-mongering, we will not compromise our most cherished values, freedom, democracy, diversity, and inclusion. Today, I encourage everyone to show gratitude to the valiant Canadians in uniform, past and present. Their dedication and service protect and defend everything that Canada stands for. Did you notice something there? It's, of course, the liberal mumbo-jumbo that one would absolutely expect from Justin Trudeau when he's trying to be serious. He says, in the face of cowardly violence and fear-mongering, we will not compromise on our most cherished values, freedom, democracy, diversity, and inclusion. A Muslim extremist shot up the parliament buildings and killed a soldier. It was a terrorist attack in the purest sense of the word on the place that houses the institutions of our very democracy. This couldn't be any more of a terrorist attack on our very way of life. But Justin Trudeau, he didn't say those words. He can't say those words, terrorist attack. He calls it cowardly violence instead of the real reason Corporal Cirillo is dead and his little son is fatherless. It's terrorism. Justin Trudeau uses this very sad commemorative day to lecture us on diversity and inclusion yet again. But don't you dare point out that it was a terrorist attack or you're the problem today. You're the fear monger on the same level as the terrorist. Sorry, I mean the guy who committed cowardly violence for some reason that Trudeau absolutely cannot talk about or mention. But you know what? Justin Trudeau had absolutely no problem calling terrorism the Quebec City mosque attack. He called it terrorism several times, even once in his year-end wrap-up interview with CTV News' Lisa Laflamme. Now, to be clear, the shooter in the Quebec City mosque attack, he's not charged with any terrorism-related crimes, but that hasn't stopped Justin Trudeau from calling it a terrorist attack, rightly or wrongly. 
But what would you expect from an intellectual black hole <laughs> like Justin Trudeau? He paid $10.5 million to a Taliban terrorist and convicted murderer named Omar Khadr because of something that happened to him, something inconvenient when he was in American custody because, as Trudeau says, a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. Apparently, even if that Canadian leaves Canadian soil to wage jihad against Canadians, and our allies. Rebel viewers, we stepped up to the plate for the children of Omar Khadr's innocent victim, Christopher Spear. We raised nearly one quarter of a million dollars with the support of nearly 4,000 backers. And that helped shine an international light on the secret backroom deal Trudeau struck with that terrorist. And we showed the world that Justin Trudeau does not speak for Canadians when he refuses to speak about terrorism and call it what it really is. Justin Trudeau is the outlier here. He thinks terrorists are just, you know, misunderstood. We have to look at the root causes. Now, we don't know now whether it was uh, you know, terrorism or a single crazy or, or uh, you know, a domestic issue or a foreign issue. I mean, all those questions. But there is no question um, that this happened uh, because there is someone who feels um, completely excluded. And Trudeau thinks that they've got a lot to teach the rest of us law-abiding Canadians. Remember this garbage here. There is a question of them coming mm -hmm. back to this country and, and you and can't possibly monitor all of them, can you? Yes, we have security agencies that are uh, engaged on this file very much, but there's also a lot of community outreach going on. We know that actually someone who has engaged and turned away from that hateful ideology can be an extraordinarily powerful voice for preventing radicalization. You know what, that's too much crazy. Let's detox our brains. Here's what arguably Canada's best Premier Doug Ford had to say about this sad day we commemorated this week. Here. We remember Corporal Nathan Sorello of the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders, who was killed four years ago today. Corporal Sorello was murdered as he provided a ceremonial honor guard at Canada's National War Memorial, a sacred place that honors those who have given their lives for our freedoms so that we can live in a democratic and safe country. We also remember Warrant Officer Patrice Vassant, who was killed the same week, four years ago, by an ISIL-inspired terrorist. I thank all of our security agencies police forces, and first responders who put their lives in harm's way for our safety every day. And for those who leave Canada to go and fight for ISIS, let me be very clear. You should not be allowed back into our province with open arms. There is no safe haven in Ontario for you. Ford called it a murder. He called the attack against warrant officer Vincent ISIL-inspired. No mincing words there at all. And if you caught the end of Ford's video, he alludes to going one step further. Ford's going to do what the federal government should be doing when it comes to ISIS terrorists returning back to Canadian soil. 
The Ontario PCs have proposed a law to permanently strip convicted terrorists of benefits like access to health care coverage, driver's licenses, housing assistance, or even a hunting or fishing license. It's not much. But the new law, formerly known as the Terrorist Activity Sanctions Act, is something. It's something. And it's currently more than the federal government is doing at all. Yes, unfortunately, for once, I actually find myself agreeing with Justin Trudeau that we absolutely will learn something from these powerful voices, these returning ISIS terrorists. They will be an incredible, powerful voice to show us just what sort of dangerous idiot our prime minister is. But my great fear is that Canadians will learn this information the hard way. Stay with us. More up next after the break. Trudeau's liberals funding terrorism? My next guest thinks they just might be. He's written a 132-page report and complaint to the RCMP detailing the money trail from the federal government to terror groups. My guest today is Tom Quiggin. He's an intelligence analyst and security and terrorism expert. Tom, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for inviting me to the show, Sheila. Now, I want to put to bed quickly some of the criticism that you will receive for this very detailed report. Are you some sort of conspiracy theorist about the Liberal government? Why don't you give us some of your credentials, just so that people can really understand where you're coming from? Well, thanks, Sheila. Folks should know that I spent 15 years in the military, including time in Bosnia and Croatia. Uh, I worked for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for six years as a contract security intelligence analyst working on national security investigations. It was while working for the RCMP that I actually became a court expert uh, for the first time in a terrorism case here in Canada. I've also worked for the Privy Council Office and specifically the Intelligence Assessment Secretariat. That's the intelligence body in Canada that works directly for the Prime Minister and for the Cabinet. Uh, internationally, I've worked for the International War Crimes uh, Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia in The Hague, and I worked as a senior research fellow at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore, working on an intelligence uh, research project there. So, uh, I mean, I'm pretty much an establishment figure. Uh, when folks talk about, uh, you know, how government is run by a certain bureaucratic class, I guess I'm, you know, a part of that. Um, I guess then you're not the wingnut <laughs> that, that your critics will uh, claim that you are. Now, I guess the real question is, are the Liberals funding terrorism and how are they doing it? Yeah, well, let me just give a bit of background here. Charities have been used in Canada for years to fund terrorism. This isn't something new. It's been going on for well over 20 years. So, for instance, IRFAN, the International Relief Fund for the Afflicted and Needy, was a federally registered charity, and it was being used to fund Hamas to the, ten, to the tune of tens of millions of dollars in cash and services. They were, of course, uh, they had their charitable status revoked by CRA, and they were declared to be a terrorist entity. The Islamic Society of North America has had four charity revocations, two of which were for funding terrorism. And then we also had something called the World Islamic Call Society operating here in Canada. And I'm not making up 
not making this up. These are the exact right words. That was Muammar Gaddafi's jihad fund as it was operating in Canada. Now, what has changed, and I think this is what is important, is in the past it was sort of like bad or malicious people outside of government exploiting weaknesses in government uh, systems in order to enhance their charity and fundraising capabilities so they could fund terrorism. What is different now is that people inside the government are using the government's uh, programs, the government's funding, the government ministries to direct money down a path which they know portions of that money will ultimately wind up funding extremism and terrorism. And that's the bit that's different. And I should just say up front, I'm not anti-liberal. I mean, I voted liberal in the past, uh, but I would have to say I'm very much anti what this government is doing right now. So which charities right now are receiving government money that I guess shouldn't be? Okay, this this report focuses on one situation. That's Islamic Relief Canada. And we know that the government of Canada is funding them because it's in a variety of government documents coming from Global Affairs Canada, International Development, etc., etc. Now, Islamic Relief Canada sends millions of dollars a year to its parent organization called Islamic Relief Worldwide which operates out of the United Kingdom. A variety of credible, independent sources have identified Islamic Relief Worldwide as continuously funding terrorism. And amongst those people making the accusations are the United Arab Emirates, uh, whose government, I mean, incidentally, is Sunni and Muslim. The state of Bangladesh has refused to allow Islamic Relief Worldwide to operate in their territory because they say they're funding extremism. The state of Israel says that Islamic Relief Worldwide is funding Hamas. And then to make it even more interesting, HSBC Bank, one of the world's largest banks, has closed their accounts with Islamic Relief Worldwide due to terrorism funding concerns. The Swiss bank UBS has done the same. And in the United Kingdom as well, uh, the charity Overwatch organization has looked at Islamic Relief Worldwide and said they're pulling them off their website for terrorism funding concerns. And right here in Canada, the Financial Post used to have Islamic Relief Canada on their list of 25 best-run charities, but it's no longer there, and the reason they gave was terrorism funding concerns. Now, interesting enough, just since I put this report out, six American congressmen have written to the head of the FBI and the head of the IRS uh, requesting that they continue their investigation into Islamic Relief USA for, guess what, funding terrorism. So this is sort of a, a globally known problem and why the Canadian government is sending money down this path, which they know will go to Islamic Relief Worldwide, this to me is quite an interesting question. You know, it, when you lay it out that way, Canada is really the outlier, the global outlier, especially in the Western world, when it comes to dealing with where these charitable funds end up. Uh, I noticed in your report you had... Um, it was really an infographic about which ministers were the worst offenders and and where, you know, how much money is going from each ministry to Islamic relief. 
Yes, we've uh, to make it simple for folks, we put a number of charts and graphs in there. And uh, if folks are ever looking at it, you can just hover over each of the pictures of the links and you can see the sources for this material. So it's not stuff I'm making up. This is information coming from government documents or NGO documents, etc. But uh, the ministers who are sort of sitting at the top, as far as we're concerned, who are directing money to Islamic Relief Canada are folks like uh, the Honorable Ahmed Hussain, Ministry of uh, Citizenship, Immigration, and Refugees, the Honorable Christy Freeland, as uh, Minister of uh, Global Affairs or Foreign Affairs, depending on your choice, uh, the Honorable Marie-Claude Bibo, who is Head of International Development. Uh, these are the ministers involved. We also have uh, Ikra Klit, of course, member of Parliament from Mississauga. She had a hand in directing $23 million of M103 anti-Islamophobia anti money to two different organizations, one of which is Islamic Relief Canada. She didn't say how much of the $23 million they're getting, but it looks like it's the lion's share. Now, separate from those individuals who are actually directly aiding in money being sent down the path to extremism, we have Prime Minister Trudeau, who actually did a video for Islamic Relief Canada advocating what a great bunch of guys they were and why should we, you know, and that we should assist them. Uh, and he's spoken out on their behalf on a couple of times. In addition to that, we've had uh, Omar Algaba, for instance, also a uh, member of Parliament from Mississauga, has risen in the House to make a statement about what a great bunch of guys Islamic Relief are. And he also goes to their fundraising efforts. Ergo, he is lending his prestige and the prestige of Parliament to Islamic Relief. Um, just for folks who don't follow this stuff closely, the Criminal Code of Canada is fairly clear on this. If you send money down a path which you know is going to wind up in the hands of extremists or terrorists, that by itself constitutes a criminal offense. So that's where I would say the ministers in Ikra Khalid are. In the case of Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Elgabra, they fall afoul of a different section of the criminal code, and that is facilitation. If you facilitate the activities of a group which you know is going to send money down the path, that also is a criminal offense uh, under Section 83 of the Criminal Code of Canada. So my observation here as a court expert on jihadist terrorism, as a former intelligence guy who does support to investigations on a number of different levels, my observation here, there is a clear and direct trail of money going from the government of Canada to Islamic Relief Canada to Islamic Relief Worldwide, and they are known internationally to be funding terrorism and extremism. Now, I had seen in some other interviews where you've said that even summer jobs grants funding that Christian groups were not um, eligible for because they wouldn't sign the attestation to liberal values, some of that might be ending up back in the hands of Islamic Relief. Yes, uh, the summer jobs program in 2017 and 2018, both of those programs are sending money to Islamic Relief Canada. And this raises sort of a, a separate issue, but nonetheless connected, is the summer jobs program, as you men mentioned, had this attestation that you had to sign that you supported the Liberal government's position on what they called women's health. In other words, you had to be you know, pro-abortion uh, sort of thing. That's a bit shocking that government funding would be connected to that kind of a values test, which I think is actually against the Charter of Rights. But forgetting that, what's interesting is I've spoken with a number of religious organizations that run things like summer camps. So, for instance, the Baptist group in the Atlantic provinces went, I believe it was about zero for 23. 23 separate applications for summer jobs money, which they'd always received, and then they got zero 
because they asked for an exemption from the program. What's fascinating is a, gr a bunch of groups like uh, ICNA, ISNA, and Islamic Relief Canada got the money, despite the fact they are openly and sometimes violently uh, anti-abortion. So, for instance, ICNA has the public position that unwed females who are pregnant, the child should be born and then the woman should be stoned to death. So I'm not quite sure that meets the liberal government test, but nonetheless, they were able to get money. So, yeah, there's a whole other separate question and a whole separate investigation that should be run there as well. You know, it's fascinating when you think of it that summer money that could be going to fund uh, summer camps for inner city kids or, you know, poor kids, that money could actually be going to fund summer jihad camps somewhere in the Middle East. Um, actually, separate from that, and it's yeah. this, that, uh, what we're about to talk here is not in my report, but I mean, I, mm -hmm. the Quiggin report has put a podcast on this if people want to follow it. But there is something called the UNRWA. It's a, United a supposedly United Nations organization that operates in the Palestinian territories. Uh, the government of Canada just announced another $50 million of funding to them on top of the $110 million we'd already sent them in the past. And this is interesting because UNRWA just had its funding cut off from the United States uh, because they described the program as being irretrievably broken. Uh, so what's actually happening is UNRWA, and it's been known for years, that they support extremism, they support terrorism, they promote violence. And more interestingly, money that goes to UNRWA winds up in the beneficiary program. And what that program does is it funds the families of suicide bombers. So if your son goes off and blows himself up as a suicide bomber for Islamic Jihad, you actually get a pension uh, for the rest of your life because of that. So Canadian money going to UNRWA, some of it will find its way into the hands of you know uh, supporting suicide bombers. Now, in addition to that, they've had some charming individuals working for UNRWA. One of them was a guy named Suhail uh, El-Hindi, who just left last year after 23 years. He was a teacher. He was part of the Hamas organization that uh, does political activities with the UNRWA. And while speaking at a UNRWA school, in company with Sheikh Rantizi, who is the founder of Hamas, he told the students there that the road to Palestine passes through the blood of martyrs and that those student martyrs shape history through their exploding body parts. Uh, so this is a teacher in their school system, and this is what they're teaching the students. Uh, they had another charming guy work for them. He was a teacher, an educator. He was principal of one of their schools, and he died in an Israeli airstrike on a rocket factory. So it turns out not only was he a principal in one of UNRWA schools, he was also the head of engineering and weapons manufacturing for Islamic Jihad. Also, just, uh, just by way of closing this off, last year, three different tunnels were found being dug under UNRWA schools, which were used to, in the attempt uh, to move Hamas terrorists into Israel. So that's the kind of things uh, UNRWA is doing. And it's not surprising that other folks have cut them off, like the Saudis and the Americans and others. Or the Canadians under Stephen Harper. <laughs> you know, the, yes. this is a very new thing that this money is going back to the UNRWA because under the conservatives, um, we understood that this was, you know, a group that funnels money to terror. And it, I guess that goes to my next question. Uh, the, do you think that the cabinet ministers are aware 
that this money eventually ends up in the hands of terrorists. I, I mean, I guess my word's not yours. I don't see how they can't be. But on some level, some of them are quota appointees. And, and maybe, you know, there are other people working within the ministry who are dishing out this money. What do you think? Well, a couple of things come to mind. One is, one is we have a Westminster style of parliament, which is to say the minister is accountable to the actions of the department. And the excuse of, oh, I didn't know that was happening is not an acceptable excuse. Uh, either you knew it was happening or the supervision of your department is so bad you didn't know it was happening, in which case you're incompetent. Now, having said that, uh, folks like Ahmed Hussam have actually come out and said, oh, no, we only deal with trusted partners, which to me suggests he must have done an exercise to review if the NGOs and agencies they're working with are reliable. And if they'd done that, they would know right off the top, as soon as you look at Islamic Relief, they're in trouble. There's all kinds of people pointing out the problems this organization has. Same goes for uh, Marie-Claude uh, Bibeau. She's head of a department their actual business, international development, is sending money overseas. And you would have to think that the department is accountable for knowing to whom they're sending the money. Uh, and if they're not, then again, they're just grossly incompetent and should be fired based on that. So, yeah, I would have to say, I mean, it's general knowledge in the national security and the intelligence world and in the international relations world that Islamic Relief Worldwide has a problem with funding extremism. It's known in the banking world and it's known in the journalistic world. So I think a defense of I didn't know it was happening or I was just following orders, that doesn't wash here. My next question was going to be, how does Justin Trudeau as prime minister end this? But you just, you just, your last answer um, sort of negates that question at all. I guess the question should be, how does the next prime minister deal with this problem? Uh, actually, it's not that hard, really. Uh, it's a matter of simply enforcing existing law. Uh, we already have laws against what we're doing here. Uh, so, I mean, the first simple uh, suggestion I would have to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and to whoever secedes him at whatever point in the future is simply follow the law. It, it's that easy. Now, what I do find fascinating, though, is a number of governments around the world say, you know, they oppose terrorism, they oppose extremism yet they keep right on funding it. Um, to anybody that does uh, you know, long-term studies of terrorism, they know that the simplest way to crush a terrorist group is to go after its funding. So if, if Canada is serious about terrorism on an international basis or on a local basis at a domestic level, then that's the first thing to go after is the funding. Uh, and I think that is you know, the easiest thing for Canadian citizens to start asking the Prime Minister and their members of Parliament and say, you know, are we funding terrorism? Are we sending money down a path where we know it winds up in the hands of extremists? And the answer is yes, we know it. Now, as I pointed out earlier, it's been an ongoing problem for years. And at certain points, CRA steps in and does something about it and gets it stopped. But to, to refer back to your question about Mr. Trudeau, the point is this time is it's people inside the government directing the money down the path, not bad or malicious people operating outside of government. So how one gets people in government to stop doing this is uh, a bit of a question. I mean, I think there needs to be accountability, and that comes either through the RCMP, which enforces uh, federal law, or it comes through the, the ballot box and uh, letters to your MP. You know, I would love to see a Gomery-style inquiry into 
how these funds are dished out and where they end up so that people can actually see the the decision-making trail alongside the money that went to these uh, organizations. Tom, um, how do people get in touch with you? How do they see this report? How do they find you? And you know what? Here's a chance to plug your podcast, which is pretty darn interesting. Yeah, well, right now, uh, there's a podcast called The Quiggin Report. It's available on Patreon. It's available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and all the sort of usual places. If folks want to see the infographic we put together on who's sending what money where, and if they want to see the actual report itself, if you go to Patreon, uh, and look under Quiggin Report, you'll uh, find it there. There's also uh, this one uh, podcast we just put out on the complaint to the RSC and people at the government funding terrorism was actually uh, the third in a series where we've looked at the history of funding terrorism in Canada, what agencies have been used in the past, and then, of course, this podcast we just put out now, which I think is the most important one, which says it switched from being people outside of government to people being inside government. So, yeah, uh, search under Google under Quiggin Report and Funding Terrorism and you'll find us in a bunch of different places. Great. Thanks so much, Tom, for coming on the show today and for taking the time to put together this massive, comprehensive report. Um, And I hope that we can call on you again for some of your expertise. Cheers. Thanks, Sheila. Thanks. Stay with us. More up next after the break. Welcome back. Now is the portion of the show where Ezra normally reads viewer comments, emails, and maybe even a little bit of his hate mail. And he normally stands for this portion of the show. He's taller and skinnier when he's standing, I suppose, the way we all are. But I need to sit because I need my desk. And I need my desk because I need some place to put my computer. Because I have to answer a question about my computer that I get a lot like surprisingly a lot. I get a lot of different versions of this email here that I got from one of our viewers named Gordon. Now Gordon writes, please provide an explanation about the picture of Tucker Carlson with the word predator on Sheila Gunn-Reed's videos. And Jim sent me again, like I said, another version of the same email. I thoroughly enjoy Sheila's great work. Just wondering the story behind the Tucker Carlson picture. Okay, well, first off, let me thank both Gordon and Jim and all the other people who email me for paying such close attention to the finer details of my videos. Frankly, now I'm a little concerned that I should put more attention into those small details that you are all noticing at home. I'm a huge fan of Tucker Carlson, big fan, probably the biggest fan. Some of you may even notice that from time to time I wear a t-shirt with his face on it. I can't get enough of his confused expression and his luscious muskrat pelt of a head of hair. Okay, so now we've got that out (laughs) in the open. Next, the brand name of my computer is Predator. It's an Acer Predator, and one of my children, although none of them will specifically own up to being the culprit here, stuck this sticker on my computer on the side they know will be most visible to the camera. So there's no coded message here. I'm not implying that Tucker Carlson is some sort of predator, and I'm paid to give you my opinion anyway, so I wouldn't be sending my opinions out to you in some sort of code, so disregard that. So optically, 
Yes, maybe it's a little strange with the word predator and then Tucker Carlson's face here. But I by no means think Tucker Carlson is some sort of predator. And if he is a predator, then maybe he's a predator after my heart. Okay, so hopefully that puts that email to bed. And finally, I wanted to remind you all to get your tickets for the Rebel Live. That's right. We're taking our show on the road to Calgary, November 10th. That's a Saturday. It's a full day. It's a conservative mini convention where you'll hear from some bold conservative thinkers and not just the kind that appear on the CBC as their official conservative, but rather the kind of conservative that gives CBC the hives and hysterics the kind of conservative that CBC convenes panels to talk about. We've got Lindsay Shepard, who fought the censors at Laurier University and won. We've got John Carpe. He's a lawyer who sues the government when the government treads on you. We've got conservative MP Brad Trost, oil sands activist Robbie Picard, and MP Maxime Bernier, who just launched his own conservative political party. Plus me, plus Ezra, plus Kian, plus many other great speakers, plus a barbecue food truck for lunch. And I can't wait to see you all there. Go to therebellive.com to get your tickets today. They're selling out fast. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. I wanted to thank you all again for tuning in. I wanted to thank everybody at Rebel Headquarters in Toronto for turning what I've given them into this show that you just watched. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. 